0: Tech writer worldwide. It's the high tech podcast in plain English with an hour's worth of news in about 20 minutes. That's because we leave out the commercials, the station breaks, the sports, and most of the jingles. Podcast number 432 for March 1st, 2015. This week, net neutrality is official, for now, but will it last? Adobe Photoshop turns 25. In short circuits, a startup company has an idea for faster wireless service, and the Lenovo Supervish debacle may have revealed more serious problems. On the website only, spare parts includes worries by smartphone users about being tracked, and a project funded by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. To modify internet searches. <music> on Thursday, the Federal Communications Commission voted 3-2 to, to accept Chairman Tom Wheeler's open internet proposal. Commissioner Ajit Pai accused those in the majority of turning their back on an open internet. But an open internet for whom? open for telecommunications companies and service providers to do whatever they want, or open for consumers to be protected from abuses that have become all too common. In my opinion, the FCC's call was the right one. In 2010, approximately one-fifth of Internet users, one-fifth, supported what has become known as net neutrality. Despite attempts by some in Congress and most of the telecommunications and service provider industry to paint the subject in political terms, more recent surveys show that Republicans actually support net neutrality slightly more than Democrats. The survey by the University of Delaware's Center for Political Communication shows that 85% of Republicans support an open Internet, and 81% of Democrats also support an open Internet. Yes, there's a slight difference there, but 4% is pretty inconsequential. So where's the controversy here? Where is it? Verizon, Comcast, and Time Warner keep trying to dress a technical issue up in political terms. And this time, for once, it seems not to be working. FCC Chairman Tom Wheeler says the new policy means that nobody will be able to limit free and open access to the Internet. That includes, in Wheeler's words, both government and corporations and he says that the landmark open internet protections adopted by the fcc should reassure consumers businesses and investors the new rules explicitly forbid blocking throttling and paid prioritization on the internet and for the first time wheeler added the rules will be fully applicable to mobile the policy adopted this week replaces rules that the fcc adopted in 2010 Verizon challenged the rules, and the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit ruled last year that the FCC did not have sufficient regulatory power over broadband, in part because of the way broadband is classified. This week's rulemaking fixed that problem. Early in the week, the New York Times recounted a meeting that occurred about a year ago near the Flatiron Building in Manhattan. The meeting was attended by some of the better-known smaller information providers, Tumblr Etsy, Boing Boing, and Reddit were listed. Those relatively small companies worried about what would happen if broadband providers such as Comcast, Verizon, and Time Warner decided to block or slow traffic from their sites. They decided that the time had come to fight. So they called on their users to tell the FCC that net neutrality should be assured. Between that and now, tens of thousands of phone calls and millions of messages, most in support of net neutrality, flooded, into the FCC. Flooded is the right word here. The FCC had been considering the establishment of paid, fast lanes. Surprisingly, it appears that Congress may not react by passing legislation to undo the FCC's rulemaking. May not. South Dakota Senator John Thune, chairman of the Senate Commerce Committee, quoted in the New York Times, said that a legislative response is unlikely. In addition, congressional Republicans have generally stopped referring to net neutrality as Obamacare for the Internet. Perhaps this is because most Americans, regardless of party affiliation, feel that net neutrality is a good idea. But that doesn't mean the fight is over. Senator Thune sent this tweet on the 24th of February. Claims that Republican conceded on net neutrality are a mischaracterization, I am committed to a legislative solution to FCC power grab. And even if there is no congressional challenge, that still doesn't mean the fight is over. Net neutrality won despite the fact that its supporters were wildly outspent by the big internet service providers and telephone companies. The next challenge will be in court, and you can be sure that this case will be decided eventually by the Supreme Court. For now, the FCC will regulate the Internet as a utility, and it'll forbid tiered structures by which some providers could pay more to have their data delivered faster than the rest of us. It also would make it illegal for an Internet service provider to block or slow data from online services that compete with its own services. Big providers of popular services encouraged their users to express their views to the FCC, and users did in huge numbers. I referred to this earlier as a flood. The response was so unrelenting that it caused the FCC's antiquated communications servers to crash several times. The Federal Communications Commission's antiquated communications servers. There's an irony in there somewhere. Groups such as the Electronic Frontier Foundation, numerous open-source groups, and the Mozilla Foundation all pushed the open Internet concept, even though that most felt the cause was lost as recently as a year ago, because the cable and telecommunications companies were able to bring enormous amounts of money to bear, as well as well-financed lobbyists. And what I have been unable to wrap my head around is why some people insist on making net neutrality a political issue. It's not. It's a technological issue, a usability issue. Perhaps knowing that the country is politically divided, the cable and wireless providers simply took advantage of that fact to make it a political issue. And so now it's not over until the Supreme Court sings, and maybe Congress too. Adobe Photoshop is 25 years old, or maybe 27, depending on how you want to look at it. No matter how you look at it, Photoshop is the de facto photo editing application around the world. In 1987, that's 27 years ago, a Ph.D. student at the University of Michigan started working on a program to display grayscale images on his Macintosh Plus computer. Thomas Knoll called it display, and then he showed it to his brother. John Knoll worked at Industrial Light & Magic. That's the company that creates special effects for movies. Photoshop's first name was Image Pro, but that ran afoul of the trademark office, so Thomas renamed the program Photoshop. That name stuck. Adobe purchased a license to distribute the program, and by February of 1990, Photoshop 1.0 was ready for distribution. That's 25 years ago. Of course, it ran only on Macintosh computers, where it joined Adobe's flagship application, Illustrator. It's safe to say that no matter who you are or where you are, you encounter hundreds of images that have been touched by Photoshop every day. And Adobe has developed a website that displays work by 25 of the most creative visual artists under the age of 25. You'll find a link to it on the TankBiter Worldwide website. Tens of millions of people use Photoshop, and images created in the program can be found on websites and print media, of course, but also in motion pictures. When you check out the TechBiter Worldwide website, you can look back a few years to when Adobe's Russell Brown appeared on the Today Show to talk about Photoshop. Adobe has frequently acquired applications to incorporate new features into existing products or to offer new applications and it has created its own applications to extend its reach into other media. But to step back 25 years, Thomas Knoll recalls that Adobe thought they'd sell, oh, maybe 500 copies of Photoshop a month. Not in my wildest dreams, says Knoll, did we think creatives would embrace the product in the numbers they have. Companies with little or no foresight have often made dumb decisions, Western Union, for example, refused to buy the rights to the telephone patents in 1876. Western Union was huge back then, and the telephone was seen as little more than a fad. As it turns out, Photoshop may have been seen the same way. Knoll tried to sell several companies on distributing Photoshop. Quite a few said they were working on similar projects and didn't want to look at it for competitive reasons, Knoll said. Others said it didn't fit their lineup. When we did the demo at Adobe, though, it really clicked with them. They understood the potential, and it fit very well into Adobe's existing product line. On the TechBiter Worldwide website, there is about one minute's worth of fun looking at 25 years of Photoshop. I think it's a minute and seven seconds. Check it out. <music> In short circuits, who wouldn't like faster wireless data services? Well, a company that's been working on a way to make wireless data faster and more reliable says that it expects to make that service available. Soon. Relatively speaking, anyway. Artemis Networks described its plans about a year ago, saying that it would lease Spectrum from Dish Network. Initially, the service will be available in San Francisco if the Federal Communications Commission approves. Artemis CEO Steve Perlman says he wants to launch the service around the third quarter of 2015. San Francisco already has lots of wireless providers, of course, but Perlman says his new service's selling point would be a new way of dealing with network congestion so that the network will provide better service. If you've ever been in an area where a big news event is occurring, or if you've tried to use a wireless device at a program that attracts an overflow crowd of techie geeks, then you've probably experienced network congestion. If not, just think of the highways in your town at the end of the workday, the time we call rush hour, even though nobody can rush anywhere in a freeway jam. It all comes down to the antenna. Perlman says the secret is antenna technology that uses what he calls P-cell antennas. These carry data to computers that create a unique wireless signal for every user. Instead of everyone being forced to share a single communications channel, each individual user effectively has a clear path. Assuming the process does work as expected, the new service will be offered in conjunction with existing wireless carriers as it's rolled out across the country. The least dish network spectrum will be used only for testing. Perlman says the service could be fast enough that it might even be used in place of wired internet service at homes and businesses. (music) Undoubtedly, you've heard that for several months, Lenovo, the world's largest computer manufacturer, placed an application on nearly every computer it sold. Superfish paid Lenovo to install the application on the computers. But wait a minute, you paid Lenovo for the computer, so it seems like Lenovo should have more allegiance to you than to the developers of applications that pay it a few cents per machine. Lenovo says it was just trying to help buyers of its computers. By itself, Superfish isn't a particularly bad application, but additional changes that have to be made to the operating system created a security flaw that allows other applications to see information that users thought was encrypted. Writing on the Malwarebytes security blog, Jovi Umowing says that some users have found compiled and published lists of other apps that use what he calls the SSL Decoder or Digester, the Komoda software development kit responsible for granting Superfish its dangerous HTTPS interception functionality. Unfortunately, Umoing writes, some of the apps mentioned were parental control software, which were used by parents and caretakers to safeguard young teens and kids from potential online threats. The blog post identified the known applications and cautioned that it may not be a full list. There may be other similar programs that use the SDK that have yet to be discovered, it said. Here are five of the applications mentioned. Covenant Eyes, This is a paid application for families who want to protect family members from accessing sites with adult content. The product is marketed as an internet accountability and filtering application. Keep My Family Secure. That's a free parental control program from Parental Control Solutions Limited, a subsidiary of Comodia. It allows the blocking of websites based on a child's age. Coropia Web Filter. That's free software that targets both English and Portuguese users. It attempts to block pornography websites and various programs. It offers time control and monitoring of computer and program usage history. Custodio is a free app for Windows, Mac, iOS, and Android devices. Aside from having features that the majority of parental control software applications have, Custodio has options to monitor or block calls and SMS messages, it also provides a panic button children can press to call for help from parents or carers and secure teen the paid app for computers and mobile devices most of its functionalities are similar to those of custodos these obviously are applications that mean well but could expose lots of sensitive information on your computer to anybody who wants to see it the blog provides instructions for removing malware and cautions that the order of steps is very important. There's a link to the blog posting on the TechBiter Worldwide website. Lenovo installed this software on their G-Series, U-Series, Y-Series, Z-Series, S-Series, Flex Mix, Yoga, and E-Series computers. Class-action lawsuits have already been filed against Lenovo and the developers of Superfish. Don't forget to check the website this week. You'll find spare parts over on the right-hand side, and we have stories about worries by smartphone users who think they're being tracked and are concerned about it. And a project funded by the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency, DARPA, the folks who brought us the Internet to modify Internet searches. Thanks for listening to TechBiter Worldwide, the podcast with an hour's worth of technology news in about 20 minutes. I'm Bill Blinn. Be sure to check out the website, www.techbiter.com. And if you like, send me an email from there. See you next week.